Hi, and welcome to another episode of Investing Compass. Before we begin, a quick note that the information contained in this episode is general in nature. It doesn't take into consideration your personal situation, circumstances, or needs. So in today's podcast, we're going to interrogate Mark, which makes it my favorite type of podcast. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's that's exciting, Shani. So we did one <laughs> earlier. We did our portfolio construction podcast, mm-hmm. still our most popular one. Yeah. And we interrogated you. So we went through your retirement, your goals, and yeah, you, you just didn't seem thrilled about the whole thing. No, I mean, it's my turn now to interrogate you. And I watch a lot of true crime, so I have a lot of tips. Okay. Okay. Well, that's not good. <laughs> so... I, I, I don't know how involved you were in this, but yesterday we went out for a couple beers and I had an emotional goodbye to Priscilla. Now, Priscilla's not going anywhere. And Priscilla, Do you really want to talk about this on the podcast? Well, I don't know. Priscilla, Priscilla of course, is Shani's dog. Mm-hmm. Priscilla is a male dog, mm-hmm. even though named Priscilla. And people have emailed me about that. They're yeah. concerned about Priscilla. Priscilla is having an operation on Saturday and I'm not going to see him before it. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. What's a good way of describing the operation? You know, he's going to become, well, the first (laughs) emasculating thing that happened to Priscilla was you naming him Uh Priscilla. And this is the other emasculating thing. I'm kind of speechless we're talking about this. (laughs) Okay. Do you think Priscilla would be embarrassed? Um, Maybe. I'm a little bit embarrassed. If I could go red, I would. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) So, we can can change the subject. Let's talk about the conference because I wanted to talk about the conference. You had a session with um, Doug Morris, who is the CEO of ShareSite, and you made him a sandwich. I did make him a sandwich because I was told I I had the lunchtime session. I don't know why I always get the bad (laughs) slots in our conference. And so I mean, you run the conference, so I feel like you should pick. Okay. Maybe I'm just hate myself. Maybe it's self-loathing. But uh, yeah, I made a Italian beef for him. Tell us about the sandwich. Well, first of all, I'll tell you about getting the sandwich. And I said mm-hmm. this at the conference. So sorry if anyone was there. It's a repeat of the story. It was raining, like pouring the night before. And of course, I did not pre-plan any of this. So I had to go shopping and I'm carrying the groceries home and in the rain and the bag broke. So then I'm standing there like gathering my groceries, carry it home. But anyway, I made an Italian beef. So Italian beef is a sandwich. Doug's from Chicago. So I'm from the East Coast of the U.S., Doug's from Chicago. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's like kind of the famous Chicago sandwich. So, you know, at the end of the day, it's just a beef sandwich. But I mean, did he eat it? No, because then <laughs> then we had this awkward thing. It's a little messy. And so I kind of brought it out and he explained it because mm-hmm. we let the Midwesterner explain it. And then it kind of just sat there and the segment ended and I rolled the table off um, like, you know, like it was room service or something. <laughs> like off the set that we were doing this thing at. And then Doug just left. And for the rest of the day, I actually ate the sandwich. Well, that's good. At least someone ate it. How yeah. was it? Um, yeah, I thought it was pretty good. And it was actually, it was the only thing I ate all day. And then we went out for post drinks after the conference. And so it was a good thing that I ate. All right. Well, should we get to the episode? That was a long preamble. That was. That yeah. was. So let's uh, <laughs> let's do this interrogation, right? Yeah. So when we do our portfolio checkup episodes, Mark always talks about how he has two goals, and then we talk about the retirement goal and how he's doing. Well, we had an email that asked about some details about the other goal, the mystery goal that you don't talk about. Would you like to let people know what it is? Yeah. You sort of describe it like this is a skeleton in my closet, <laughs> Johnny. And you know I have plenty of those, but this is not one. So 
My second goal, and I think I, I think I did talk about it at one point, but it's simply to generate passive income from my portfolio that supports my life right now. And, you know, there are some weird complications around, you know, my portfolio just because of the U.S. tax laws and everything else, but basically it's divided into two different tax environments. So there is money that is in retirement accounts, right, where there's a tax advantage and rules about withdrawals. And, you know, in the U.S., these are IRAs, Roth IRAs. Here in Australia, of course, it's super. And then there are investments that are outside of that. So investments are in a taxable environment, which is just really a brokerage account outside of super. And these are the accounts that I'm talking about. And that's my goal in these accounts to generate passive income. All right. So let's pause here and define passive income. It is basically just income that requires no or minimal effort to make and maintain. So in this case, you're talking about dividends and other income that is generated from your portfolio. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. And I will say from kind of right in the beginning when I started investing, I've been pretty fascinated by dividends. You were fascinated by dividends. Yeah, well, maybe fascinated. <laughs> fascinated might be the wrong word. Um, so you want like a millennial spin on this, Shani? <laughs> yeah, go so on. I decided that dividends were my vibe. <laughs> okay. Is that- uh... That's much clearer. Um, so what is it about dividends? Yeah. I mean, I just remember just the concept seemed great, right? I own this company and then a portion of what that company makes just gets given to me. And so I kind of thought that if I could just grow that income enough over time, I could just live off of it and just seem like this great concept. So. I immediately got out Excel and I started trying to figure out how I could grow that income and what the different levers were that would impact that growth. Well, I know you didn't do this when you were that young because Excel didn't exist, but how old were you? Okay. It's pretty funny. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> I actually, so I did this during, well, basically as the dot-com bubble was unwinding, the market was falling and that was a really significant fall in a really bad bear market. And, you know, we had just come from this time where, I don't know. To put it, not technically, all this speculative crap that was doing so well and was being justified by just this bewildering rationale, which eventually proved to be utter BS, like it was all falling a lot. And I was just trying to look for, you know, some truths in investing and, you know, dividends are paid in cash, which means that a company that pays a dividend needs to actually generate cash and it can't rely on hype or shady accounting. It just has to actually go out there and sell a good and service. And then earn enough on that good or service to pass it along to me. So what did you learn from your spreadsheet? Okay. Well, basically what I learned was an actual demonstration of compounding. So compounding, of course, is earning a return on a return. So the first way that you can compound is to find a company with growing dividends. So one year a company pays a dividend of a dollar and then they raise it 10% and then it's a dollar ten, right? So the next year after that, they grow it 10% again. And instead of a 10 cent increase, it's now 11 cents. And that's compounding. And, you know, that's just the start of compounding, of course, when you're looking at income, because you can reinvest your dividend in a dividend reinvestment plan, which means instead of cash, you get more shares. So now, now that adds another element to compounding, because the more shares you have, the more dividends you get, the more dividends you get, the more shares you buy. And I don't know, it's just sort of mesmerized by this whole thing. That's a really insightful look into your 20s, Mark. Yeah, well, this is coming from a person that has said, and you've said it on this podcast, and not just to me, that you use Excel recreationally, which is yeah. a strange thing to say, right? Um, all right. So one thing your description kind of reminded me of was a guide that you wrote on income investing, and I wrote one too on income investing in downturns. Um, we actually went through an example here using Transurban. So the example that we use is buying a thousand shares in Transurban Group. 
on the first day of trading in 2009. Yeah. And, and I actually, I like this example a lot because remember I was talking about how I started doing this in you know this dot-com crash mm. that happened in the early 2000s. And this is the next- In the depths of the GFC. Yeah, the next crash. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. So it's a time that not a lot of people wanted to invest. So we ran two scenarios. The first scenario is that you bought the 1,000 shares and you simply received the dividends in cash. In this scenario, you are increasing your passive income as Transurban raises their dividend. So in 2009, you received $230 in dividends on an investment of $5,020, which is what the 1,000 shares cost. That is a yield of almost 4.6. Yeah. And that's pretty good, like especially now, right, Shani? Like it was a different time, higher interest rates, but I think a lot of people would be really happy with that right now. Yeah, exactly. They would be, but it got even better. So if you keep holding it, you would receive $545 a year in dividends in 2017. That's growth of 136%, which is really good. Now, by this time, the value of your investment has increased to $11,650 because the share price has gone up. But if we look at the yield on your original investment of $5,020, you're now getting 10.8% on your original money. Yeah, that's amazing, right? Yeah, it's really amazing. But save your accolades until I run through the second scenario. So this time we have enrolled in a dividend reinvestment plan. So each time a dividend is paid, you're now buying more shares, which will further compound your passive income. So now in 2009, you're getting $233.35 of dividends. That's slightly higher than the $230 you received in the first scenario because compounding is already at work. Once you get to 2017, you get $807 in dividends instead of the $545 you received in the first scenario. So now your yield on your original investment is 16.07%. Yeah. So that's even more amazing. You're right. Exactly. So your $5,020 investment is now at $17,861. Yeah. And this was basically what I was doing with my spreadsheet, right? So I came up with this plan and the plan was to start buying dividend paying shares and particularly companies where I thought that they would grow their dividend. I turned on the dividend reinvestment plan and then just, you know, settled in. And we cover the attributes you want in companies that have sustainable and growing dividends in a previous episode on passive income, where we outlined that you want to look for a history of growth, a lower payout rate, which is the amount of earnings that are paid in dividends, and a financially strong company. But today's about you, Mark. So what's next? About me, huh? Yeah, all about you. Okay. Well, so as I said, I was doing this during this post.com bubble bear market. And, you know, it was a pretty ugly time to invest. And, you know, it is hard to invest when the market's falling. So, you know, at the time I was tracking my absolute return and then relative performance against benchmarks. But I started thinking that if my goal was to grow my passive income, then perhaps I wasn't measuring my performance correctly. So instead of focusing on my account balance and fluctuations in the prices of the shares I owned, which basically is irrelevant over the short term, I instead started to focus on how much cash my portfolio would generate from dividends and how much I was growing that. So this is the origin story of our balance sheet versus cash flow statements episode? It is, Shani. The yeah. origin story. <laughs> yeah, this for is those it. that remember, that is when Mark compared himself to different financial statements. Okay. I, I didn't exactly do that. <laughs> that is I, exactly what you do. <laughs> I said people should think about what financial statement that they relate to. Okay. So did any good come of measuring your performance that way? Yeah. Well, I think so. Right. So I started concentrating on the three ways I could grow my income. So there were increases in dividends. There was reinvesting dividends. And then there was new contributions I made into my account where I simply bought more shares. Right. I'd earn a paycheck. 
contribute some money, buy more shares. So I became really focused on growing my income and thinking about those three ways that it could grow. And it occurred to me as the market was recovering from the dot-com bust that for two out of three of those sources of increases in income, the market dropping was a good thing. And that was because I was really focused on the yield of the new shares I bought. And so those are shares I bought either through contributions or automatically through that dividend reinvestment plan. Morningstar Premium is designed to help you reach your investing goals. Our coverage spans over 50,000 securities and 2,000 funds and ETFs. Sign up to a four-week free trial through the link in the episode notes to access our global equity best ideas for our top picks across borders. Find shares with sustainable, above-average dividend payouts and the best opportunities at home with five-star Aussie stocks. A Morningstar Premium subscription includes a ShareSide investor plan, allowing you to track all of your investment holdings in one place. And take advantage of ShareSide's investment performance and tax reporting that has been built specifically for the needs of self-directed investors. If you love premium after your four-week trial and choose to subscribe, your subscription may be tax-deductible if you derive income from the share market. Sign up for a free trial today. So maybe we'll pause your journey into a dividend rabbit hole and explain that. The yield of a dividend-paying share moves inversely to the price of the share. So if a share goes up, the yield goes down and vice versa. So if you're investing $1,000 a month into dividend-paying shares on a company that pays a dollar a year in dividends and whose share price is $100 a share, you'd increase your income by $10 each purchase. If the share price went up to $120 a share, the income would, you would generate from that $1,000 would drop to $8.30 because you would buy less shares. If it fell to $80 a share, you would get $12.50. Yeah, that's exactly right. So I found after some time that this was an interesting approach to investing because it removed a lot of the behavioral risk associated with investing in a volatile environment. And behavioral risk is basically just the risk that your response to volatility or changing prices and portfolio values by doing something stupid, like going all in on some speculative investment at the top of the market or by selling everything at the bottom of the market. Yeah. And so by focusing on income, I wasn't only just ignoring the value of my portfolio. I was actually fairly pleased when it went down. And when it went down, I could get more yield or income for every investment I made. So that would, of course, you know, encourage me to put more money into the market. And I was getting more yield, but you know, it was an incentive to invest when the market was low. And then the opposite happened, right? The market went up and it was more expensive and it was less of an incentive for me to invest. Mm. So we talk a lot about goals and the required rate of return. And it's something that both of us really think is important as investors. So how do you think about that? Yeah. So I literally took the same approach. So once again, if we go back to that Shawnee interrogation, that portfolio construction episode, <laughs> that was when we focused on what the required rate of return was to get you from where you are now or where you were when we recorded that mm -hmm. to your retirement. What was that return you needed? So I basically just did the same thing. I just modified this slightly. And so instead of looking at a certain portfolio value, my goal then was a certain income level that I wanted to achieve. So instead of a required rate of return that um, I had on growth in my portfolio, it was just the growth in income. So my goal was to grow income by 10% a year. All right. And this was a little while ago. So what's happened since? Well, so one thing I did slightly modify my end goal, and we always talk about this with goals, right? That like you are not locked into them for life. The goal setting process is a really effective way for you to clarify your thinking and think about how you're going to achieve it, but you can change your mind. 
you know, this isn't, this isn't locked in. So originally my goal was that I wanted to retire at 50 and have the passive income off of these investments pay for my life until I reached the age where I could access my retirement accounts. I mean, 50 would be great for you. Yeah. I mean, I guess, yeah, I guess. But that unfortunately means that I would only get to work with you for eight more years, Mark. You think? Yeah. <laughs> okay. I mean, you tell everyone, you tell everyone I'm going to die at 45, so I would never even make it here. But I mean, I guess that's nice. But, uh, but anyway, I'm sorry to disappoint you. That was my old goal. So I did, uh, I did change it. And so what I decided is, you know, the kind of life's too short approach, right? So I decided I wanted this money to just support me during my life. So what I basically did is I started using a portion of the income to pay for things like travel. And, you know, I decided this probably a year before COVID. So, you know, I make this decision. I'm going to have this extra money for travel. And of course, I can't <laughs> go anywhere. But anyway, what I decided is I would take a portion of this income and I would up it every five years. So basically, I'd give myself a raise every five years. And um, yeah, so that's what I'm doing. So I started this out. And then when I hit 45, I'll take more money out. All right. So this goal is a little bit complicated and unconventional. So what are the downsides? Yeah. Well, like any approach where you're focused on a goal, that focus and drive to achieve it can cause you to do some dumb stuff. So this is, I think, the behavioral risk that's involved in this goal. Mm -hmm. And so a focus on yield or the amount of income you generate when you invest can, of course, eventually lead you to only invest in shares with the highest dividend yield, and that can lead to issues. And let's briefly cover why that is. As we said, the yield goes up when the price goes down. And Mark talked about how share prices going down was good. And that's true. And it can be a great opportunity if a share price goes down just due to general volatility or an overreaction by the market. The issue is that sometimes share prices go down because of perfectly good and rational reasons, like the company isn't doing well and might go bankrupt. If that happens, you would lose all your money. Yeah. And like everything else in investing, this is why it's important to be disciplined. So you don't want to stretch for yield because it can be, as Shani just said, because the dividend's about to get cut because the company's in trouble or something worse, right? They go bankrupt. So the key to the strategy is to focus on the sustainability of the dividend and to remember that there's a trade-off between income growth and current yield. So why don't you explain that concept for us, Shani? Yeah, sure. So over time, we want dividends to grow. To grow dividends substantially over many years or decades, a company needs to grow earnings over that time period. To grow earnings, the company needs to continue to invest in itself, invest in marketing or expanding the business, and that's where the payout ratio comes in. The payout ratio is the amount of earnings that a company pays out, but those earnings have other uses, one of which is reinvesting in the business so it grows. So there is a trade-off. If you have invested in a company with a really high payout ratio, the current income may be higher but they have less to reinvest in the company to grow future income. If a company has a really low payout ratio, then they have more to invest and grow, but your income is lower, so the compounding effect of reinvesting the dividend is initially lower. Yeah, and one of the problems, and you always heard this trade-off before between you heard technology shares talk about this, mm -hmm. and they would say, we're not going to pay a dividend. And there was a time where, and this has changed, but there was a time where it was very taboo for a technology company to pay a dividend. And they always said, we have so many growth opportunities that it would be dumb for us to give you money yeah, because we can invest in these great growth opportunities. And you know that's changed. And a lot of the big technology companies right now do pay dividends. But the issue that you run into is there was at least this perception, this is perception that as reinvestment opportunities end, they don't have anything better to do with the money. They'll just give it back to you. They're not going to grow as fast. And sort of that growth to value shift. 
And so what you want to do is make sure that you have a diversified portfolio so that you have some of those growth companies that are paying a smaller dividend, but hopefully will grow a lot. And then you also have those value companies where the yield is higher, but it's probably going to grow slower. And you know what you're looking for ultimately is that sweet spot and that place where mathematically the trade-off makes sense between yield and growth. Problem is, of course, you have no way of knowing what will happen in the future. So it does take some analysis of the company. All right. So are there any other pitfalls? Yeah. I mean, I think there are two others that I'll talk about. And, you know, the first one is you have to think about diversification a little bit differently. So remember that you generally, when you're looking at how diverse your portfolio is, you are looking at the percentage of your portfolio made up of each holding, right? So like Mm -hmm. I have 4% of my money in this. Now you also have to look at income, right? So you don't want too much income coming from a certain share, even if it's, a, if it's yielding really high, even if it's a smaller part of your portfolio, if 10% of all your income comes from one share, you're in trouble if something happens to it. And then there's one more, and this is a big one. And you know, basically, it's just mathematically how this works. So as your passive income rises, it becomes harder and harder to hit your target. So it's just, yeah, as I said before, mathematically difficult to hit that rate. All right. So do you want to go through that a little bit more? Do you have an example? Okay. So it's, it's, you know, just a hypothetical example, but, you know, let's say I'm sitting there and setting my goals and I'm trying to calculate how much I need to grow my passive income a year to hit my target. And let's say the goal is 15% a year. So I start out, I've got a portfolio, it generates a thousand dollars a year in passive income. So my target, of course, is I want to get an extra $150 in the next year so that I can raise my income to $1,150. So saving $12,000 a year to try to do this. Well, if we look at the ASX right now, it's yielding around 2.5%. So if I invest my $12,000 at the current yield, so I'm not even finding higher yielding shares, I'll get $300 a year. So I've doubled my goal. And I haven't relied at all on the other two sources of passive income growth that we talked about. Remember, a dividend reinvestment plan or just a growing dividend of the shares that I own. So if I grow my income at 15% for 15 years, all of a sudden I have passive income of $8,137 a year, which is good. And you know maybe I'm saving a bit more, right? It's been 15 years. Hopefully my salary goes up a little bit. And maybe I'm saving $15,000 a year now. But now to hit my goal of 15% a year, I need $1,220 a year in new income. So if I invest my $15,000 of savings at 2.5%, I get $375 in additional income. And of course, I need to make up that difference. And I need to make it up between the dividend reinvestment and in dividend growth. And honestly, it's probably not going to work. So I would need 845 bucks in additional income, and that's more than 10% growth from those two sources. So yeah, that's probably not going to happen. All right. So we've been through the pitfalls. Why would somebody take this approach to investing? Yeah. Well, I think once again, and you know, we say this all the time, Shani, right? That investing is about your goals. So if your goal is to generate passive income, and everyone's goals are different, but if that happens to be your goal then you should measure your success against that goal. And that's what investing in goal setting is all about. And much like any other compounding, remember that your passive income will start to snowball. So even if it feels really difficult to get this going in the beginning, and it does because it's a small amount of money, right, that maybe you're generating passive income, like eventually 
it will start, as I said, snowballing and that compounding effect will have big growth for you in later years. All right, Shani, I think we made it. We made it. How was your interrogation? Um, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't too bad. You, uh, <laughs> I went easy on you. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But anyway, we wanted to thank all of you for joining us. We did, once again, as we said at the beginning, we did come up with this episode idea because somebody emailed us and asked. So my email address is in the episode notes. We'd also love ratings or comments, ratings and comments on whatever your um, podcast app is that you're listening to. And remember, Spotify now allows you to give a rating. So we would love that. So thank you very much for joining us. Any advice in this podcast is general advice or regulated financial advice under New Zealand law prepared by Morningstar Australasia Proprietary Limited and or Morningstar Research Limited without reference to your financial objectives, situations or needs. You should consider the advice in light of these matters and any relevant product disclosure statement before making any decision to invest. To obtain advice for your own situation, contact a financial advisor.